Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up? Welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. Hey gang, welcome. On today's episode, we are joined by Stephen C. Hayes. He's a professor in the Behavior Analysis Program at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada. He's an author of 44 books and nearly 600 scientific articles. His career is focused on analysis of the nature of human language and cognition and the application of this to the understanding of the alleviation of human suffering. He's also the co-founder, co-creator of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, um, also known as ACT. It's a popular evidence-based form of psychotherapy that uses mindfulness, acceptance, and values-based methods. This is a fascinating conversation because we need frameworks in order to make better decisions in our lives. We are all in this crisis, this global crisis, and we need ways to think through things. In this episode, we go through how we can learn lessons from visceral emotions like anger and fear. We talk about how you can capitalize on the anxiety that you face during high-performance activities. We talk about how to increase your psychological flexibility. We also talk a little bit about the phenomenon of victimhood. We talk a little bit about how the trend of celebration of victimhood and virtue signaling can be problematic for people. We talk about how important it is to take responsibility for how painful experiences are being carried in you. We talk about how uh, blame and shame don't help for you and it doesn't help others. Here are some quotes. If you don't have a way of dealing with the dark side, you run into problems and we've shown that in the research. Quote, the problem-solving mind is always evaluating, predicting, comparing, and creating these future scenarios, and your life is not a problem to be solved. Quote, how to constantly show up, come into the present moment, focus on what's important, and take the next step, full send. In this fascinating episode with Stephen C. Hayes, we cover some really important ways to think about what you do in your life. This is a meta skill. This is a meta podcast, and it will immediately impact you in your life. I have no doubt about it. ACT is one of the most studied psychological frameworks, and there's a reason why it is so popular in sports performance and in high-performance individuals. So take some notes, grab your books, Um, jot down some notes. And also, please share this episode with five friends. Just text it to them and say, hey, this was fascinating. Check this out. Um, This helps us grow the episode. This helps us grow the podcast overall. And if you haven't yet, if you listen every single week and you still have not gone and given us a review on Apple Podcasts, would you please go do that? Would you please just go over there and say something nice? Give us a five-star review. It really does mean a, a lot for the growth of this podcast. Also, if you want to be included in the pilot program that we're building, oh, and I'm so excited for it, please send me an email, sean at seanmccormick.com, and just say, I'm in. Um, I'll say hi. I'll reply. I promise. And if you are down to um, share a little bit about yourself, I'd love to hear from you. If you don't, if you just want to leave it as is and you don't want to reply to my reply, it's all good. No hard feelings. But I will include you in the list 
of uh, the pilot program, which will give you amazing tools and resources that will help shape something that that could uh, that really does have the potential to to be a game changer in in health and medicine and performance. So I'm really excited to bring it to you, and I really appreciate your participation in it. Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Blocks. As you've known, as I've told you before, uh, the sun is setting earlier. And when you expose your eyes to blue and green light, especially between 400 and 550 nanometers, you're tricking your eyeballs into thinking it's daytime when it's not. If there, it is, it is, it is literally the number one piece of biohacking equipment that I that I use. Um, it is, it is the top. It is my favorite. And you don't really know what you're missing. You don't really know that you are missing out on a better quality of sleep until you try this. One thing that really struck me when I first started to wear uh, my blue blocks was that I actually felt tired at a reasonable time. A lot of us don't really feel tired until 11, 11.30 or later, and that's because we're looking at screens and your body thinks it's daytime. And when you wear these at night, when you wear these blue blocks, your body actually starts to send you signals like, hey, dum-dum, go to sleep, it's 10.30. Hey, <laughs> you know, maybe it's a little nicer than that. Maybe it says something like, hey, you're tired, you should go to sleep. It's a really great feeling, and it really, it, for me, it's a game changer. Um, that and the X3 bar, Blue Blocks and the X3 bar are my two favorite biohacking pieces of equipment of all time. So go to blueblocks.com and use the code OPP for 15% off. Uh, it, 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 they make cool frames. They're high, they're the highest quality in the world. They're really insane. And uh, Andy, the founder of Blue Blocks, does a really good job. So uh, go to blueblocks.com, use the code, get the discount. They also look cool in their conversation starters. You know, If you're going to do FaceTime with people with blue blocking glasses, um, they're going to go, hey, those are cool. What are those? And then you can tell them that you're biohacking, which is always fun. This episode is also brought to you by Natural Stacks providers of third-party lab-tested uh, ingredient traceability supplements that will help you do and get the feelings that you want to do and get. You know, if you're if you're highly stressed, you might benefit from serotonin brain food. If you are having a little lack in motivation, you may benefit from dopamine brain food. You know that you should have vitamin D3, so go ahead and get some. Stock up on it. Start to use it every single day. Um, go to naturalstacks.com and use the code OPP20 for 20% off your first online purchase. And maybe get some for stocking stuffers um, coming up. Bring some to your friends, friends and family for Thanksgiving. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to bring you this episode. It is a fascinating, fascinating episode with a, a truly a, pi a pioneer in psychology. And I'm happy to bring it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen C. Hayes. And we're here with Stephen C. Hayes. He is a professor in a, of psychology and the co-developer of acceptance and commitment therapy. Stephen, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. It's great to be here with you, Sean. He's laughing because it took me the intro about seven different takes to actually get it out of my mouth. Let's hope we go <laughs> into a better trajectory from there. Words, Sean. Uh, I'd love to start by just giving us giving our listeners just a base like a, like you're explaining it to a third grader what is the framework of acceptance commitment therapy well basically if you do what your mind normally tells you to do and you have something distressing you try to treat it as a problem to be solved next thing you know you're trying to diminish it get rid of it eliminate it and often that makes things worse and you, you actually know better Things move forward more if you kind of open up to 
your thoughts and feelings and take what's useful, leave the rest, come into the present moment consciously, and then focus on what's really important, what, what moves you, what brings meaning and purpose to your life, and build your habits around that. And if you just do those six things, life will open up. If you mess around with any one of those six things, and the more you mess around with it, the worse it's going to be. Life's going to go smaller. It's going the wrong direction. It's going to be more of a struggle. And that's true whether or not we're talking about mental health or physical and behavioral health or prosperity and performance and running a business and being able to successfully do what you came here to do. Hmm. One, one thing that really jumps out to me is the focus on, on intention going forward. Um, you know, we, we have baggage, we have emotions, we have trauma, we, we all of us do. And um, the, the, the really dialing in an understanding of what you want, where you're headed, that really resonates for me. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on having a forward focus in our lives? Yeah, you know, this core issue of values, meaning the, the chosen qualities of being and doing that you want to put into your life's moments have such an immediate pop that when you go there, you, you feel like the fog lifts a little bit, you're energized and we're going. But if you don't have it a way of sort of dealing with the dark side, what pulls you in the wrong direction, even though you know full well it's not moving in the right direction, you we run into problems. And we've shown in our research that, you know, that motivation of having a vision and a forward look that's positive, that's repetitive, you're not running away from something, has to go along with skills that allows you to deal with those past traumas, those past difficulties, etc. Why? Because when you get moving, when you start growing, when you start challenging yourself, you start stepping up your game, you're going to face more, not less, of the moments that you have avoided when you're trying to just live small and kind of wait for all the pain to go away before you get permission to live. And so you need both. You need to be able to sort of open up, plant your face, your feet firmly, focus on the future and move towards it. And I don't think it's necessarily in that sequence. It's fine. Cut towards it, move towards it, go for it. Intentionality embraced and put into real behavior will be like a, you know, a, you know, an accelerator being pushed down in your car and you're going to need to be able to steer. You've got to be able to navigate some turns and twists that your your past history is going to throw at you. It is going to make that a challenge. So you better do both. If you just have motivation without wisdom, uh, you know, that's a, a train wreck. Yeah. That's a far wreck, staying with the metaphor I started with. Yeah. One, one thing, and, and I understand that, you know, you're one of one of the most cited, you know, clinical psychologists and, 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 and the – the framework has has been around for for quite some time for for decades, and so this is not some this is not some new thing that that uh, that's, that's catching fire. This has been consistent, effective, developed with lots of people, you know, contributing to. Um, why do you think that? Why do you th- think that this framework um, continues to hold up? Because thirty years ago, before the internet, uh, before before uh, social media, before cell phones, it was a different planet. Like we lived in a different world that was that was that was much less connected, and and so I guess my question is like, how does this continue to deliver um, as as an effective way to move forward in your life with with the fact that it's it feels like changes happen every year. They're happening really fast, and we better. Need, I think people are realizing we need modern minds for the modern world. I mean, look at where we're in right now with COVID, etc. I mean, our entire world is is cattywampus. It's different than it's been ever, and 
if you don't have the flexibility to be able to sort of go with that and still keep your eyes forward, you know, you're going to have a difficulty. And what we did that's a little different than most, we have been working on it for decades. It's only been popular for about 20 years, the act work, been around for 40 because those first 20 years, we we work on trying to hack this thing and understand what the processes are. How does the human mind work? What is the simple set of, simplest set of processes that do the most work? And some of this stuff at the time seemed really weird. Like nowadays, if you talk about mindfulness work or something, everybody's going to smile. You back up 25, 30 years ago, they're going to frown. Like, well, what the hell are you talking about? And so because we had done that work, we were ready for what happened when it became popular and ACT had a kind of an overnight moment of success thing when it was written up in time in uh, 2005 in a five page story. And, uh, you know, boom, it's suddenly, you know, the overnight sensation that took 20 years to produce. We're 20 years later now. And I think these processes, it's not that our basic humanity is changing. This is how the human mind works. This is how human beings are. And the thing that's weird about it is that exactly the reason that we're successful, talking over how many thousands of miles right now in real time, you couldn't have done that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you can do it now. Exactly the same skills that led to that are some of the same skills that can knock you off balance when you're trying to pursue that valued vision that you embrace. So uh, you better know what some of the, the some of the dark side is or you have a hard time managing the modern world but time's up things are so fast you know so much about so many things to navigate this world you know you got to be like a baby buddha on command i mean you have to have some skills that you know decades ago people could, could take many years to produce you don't have many years to produce that you got to get on that game fast now and so Western science has a role. They can do more than, you know, the guy underneath the tree. I mean, they're, they're doing important things. I don't want to be disrespectful to our spiritual wisdom traditions. But to put the essence of that into the modern world requires distilling it, taking out the woo-woo, putting in what's really important. And that's what we've tried to do with the ACT work. And our fellow allies, we're not the only ones, a whole set of fellow travelers of evidence-based uh, mindfulness, acceptance, and values-based work. It's if you look around, you'll see it, and uh, you know we're there with uh, maybe a little more evidence. I think we do have more studies than most of the things out there, and, and we've done more work at having distilling it down and applying it uh, to the present day. I, I I do see the connection between the terminology of acceptance and mindfulness, which is to just observe what is happening right now, just to 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 um, confront, acknowledge. Um, to not like you, like you first said when I when when I asked you to describe it to a, a third grader is is to not not to put it in a file cabinet in the back of your mind and let it fester and rot to, to express itself later in some some other seemingly unrelated occurrence or relationship, but to actually like con, con, confront that, you know. And you mentioned um, you met, you said a, a sort of a key word for me, which is darkness. You've said that twice and. And I, and I would love to go into that darkness a little bit and understand which darkness are we talking about? Are we talking about Joseph Campbell? Uh, are we talking about um, Carl Jung? When, when you say go into that darkness, um, what is? how do you think of it? Well, I think we all have within us, we can feel these uh, inflexibility processes. We can feel the kind of the 
ego-based, prideful, kind of drawing into the clown suit of how great and grand I am, and underneath feeling it as I'm basically I'm a fraud and it's hollowed out. If they find me out, I'm not going to be loved and wanted and included. I'm not going to be able to be part of the group. I think we can feel inside us, you know, emotions that are difficult and sometimes even that include things like violence or uh, you know, things that could do harm, anger, let loose, and, and so forth. And so we are afraid of that, and we tend to sort of try to push that down for fear that might be what's really there. The acceptance piece is not just opening up and allowing, it's learning from. And the problem that I see with uh, some of the, the work that, that's out there is if, if people aren't allowed to learn from what's underneath some of these emotions to actually to, to put light on that darkness. I mean, if you take something, for example, like anger, and you know you're afraid you've got like a monster within. I think you know uh, you can feel that sense of, of if I was just to allow myself to be, and maybe I'd just explode. Maybe I'd okay, but what's inside that anger is very likely going to be something that has to do with anxiety, past sadness, traumas that you've had, things like that. As you open up to that, it isn't this that life's asking you to carry that, it's asking you to learn from that. And so, for example, that when you are about to do something, it's really a high performance kind of thing, and you're feeling that anxiety, part of that is the asp- you're feeling the emotional aspiration that will actually help you succeed. It's of importance to you. And it's of importance in part because, yes, you failed in the past. Mm-hmm. You have. But if you open up to the lesson that's inside that, you're less likely to fail now. Mm-hmm. You can learn from your past failures. But your mind's wanting to give you sugar soup. It's wanting to say, oh, no, no, that everything's great. And you're just going to like spring forth from the hell of Zeus. And you're going to be spectacularly successful. And confetti will fall on your head. And it's absolute nonsense. It's not how people actually go about the business of being successful. And so the mind doesn't know how, really, to open up, learn from, take what's useful, leave the rest, come in the present moment, focus on what's important, get moving. You you have to learn those skills and sort of rein in the problem-solving mind. It tells you to subtract, to lie, to hide, to pretend, uh, to to take the shortcut, Hmm. to, to bury, to deny, to cover up. I mean... And meanwhile, you know, the clock is ticking and mm. it's mocking you with every tick. You know, you've got a life to live and you're, you're out, out there kind of delaying the process of really being who you are with a purpose that's manifest in the world. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. Sometimes when I'm when I'm having really high level conversations like this uh, and it's and it's my turn to ask another compelling question that's going to elicit a really important response. I, I find myself trying to process, you know, all that wisdom that, that you just brought forth. So that's what that look away and deep breath was, was just trying to absorb a little bit of it. Um, when you talk about but, but I catch that though, what's that? That's something you've learned how to do <laughs> because the mind would tell you, no, you're supposed to like fake it right now. <laughs> Wouldn't you think for sure? You're yeah. Supposed to be the, the host that's always on top. So if something comes up, there's like, I, there's some stuff in there that's important, but I'm not sure what to say. You know, taking that pause to show up sets you up for the next thing. 
in a way that a beginner, I mean, I bet when you were just starting your podcast, you wouldn't know to sort of pause for a minute and even put out in the public some of what your process was. But you're here to serve others. You know, that's probably you've done that in the past and you've helped others by doing that. So I don't know, just going to blow smoke at you, but uh, I, I think it's, there's there's wisdom in that move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a learned, it's a learned process. And, and, you know, uh, I tend to look down and to the left, um, and there's probably some, some explanation about what's over there and, and the NLP folks will help you. Exactly. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, that's where my spirit guides are. They're kind of down, they're down over there and and they're talking to me. Right. So, um, well, well, thank you. Thank you for, for (laughs) acknowledging that. Um, I appreciate that. When you talk about um, take what matters, use what matters, and then leave the rest, I think a lot of us get hung up on leaving the rest with this this process of of saying, okay, well, all right, uh, I want to do a good job. What have I learned? How how do I apply this? And this can be in a fight with your spouse, or a presentation at work, or you know, nowadays just not not be not being just completely overwhelmed by by the media cycle. Um, what what is the process? of leaving the rest? How can we effectively leave the rest? Well, it's more like leaving it in your pocket than it's leaving it behind uh, in, in your uh, bedroom, you know, because you're going to carry with you. I mean, all of the things that you're leaving could be brought back with just an instant. All it would take is somebody to say a, a sentence that included the thing that you left, and there it is, right? Because that's the kind of creatures we are. We're we're, we're able to access our entire history, any painful thing that's ever happened to you, any shameful or failure things, it's, it's with you right here, right now in this moment. And even me saying that, there's a few people in your audience who just went, uh-oh, and remembered something, right? Because that's how far away we are from anything inside this vast cognitive network that we're car- carrying around in our head because of language. We're the only creatures that do that. So the, the kind of leaving isn't the kind of subtracting, eliminating, or leave behind. It's more like putting our history in a place where we get to carry it, learn from it, use it, and not be dominated by it, mm. not be dictated to by it, not lose our freedom uh, because of it. So yes, I had a past fear, or I had a past trauma, or I was abused as a kid, or, you know, yes, but it's that... Pro- leaving ironically will have sometimes have that quality of including it's like taking something painful write it down on a piece of paper i actually say this to folks to do it and if you really want to sort of get with what this space is like it would be like okay i got that now put that in your pocket focus on in front of you but remember it's back there in your pocket and it's coming with you it's not determining where you go it's not driving your car it's Mm. not opening doors it's not deciding what the next word is it's just in your pocket and you can pull it out and look at it and learn from it or not. That's what I mean. <laughs> leave what's useful and, and take what's useful and leave the rest. I mean, maybe pulling out, for example, in rumination, that's like pulling something out of your pocket and going, well, what about that? What about that? What about that? What about that? And it's not useful to you, you know, maybe a past trauma or a failure or something or a betrayal in a relationship or something like that. You know, that might be something where it's, Put it in your pocket and uh, take it out when it's when you kind of know gut level. Now it's time to process that in a different way or look at that in a different way. Hmm. And life will teach you that. It, it'll it'll help shape you. But the problem-solving mind only won't because 
There's more to you than that. The problem-solving mind is always evaluating, predicting, comparing, and creating these kind of future scenarios. And your life's not a problem to be solved. You're not a map. Uh -huh. It's a process to be lived. So can we do that process with the capacity to solve problems, but not it overwhelming our moments? That that's definitely going to be, you know, I pull quotes out for each of these um, to use you know, on social media. And um, I'm sure you've said that before, but your life is not a problem to be solved is such a such a such a big concept, such an important thing for people to be reminded of. Right. At, well, yeah, because that part of us, that problem solving mode of mind that even whispers in our ear that it is us that we put jacked onto steroids and, and, and put it so central forgetting that we have other modes of mind like being able to observe and appreciate that and we have things that are even not mindy at all like just being able to sense and to and to uh, you know settle into the joy of, of the moment uh, gets overwhelmed by the chatter and uh, once you're over into the problem solving you've got two sides about everything you know you, you and even little kids understand that you know with Goofy with horns on one shoulder, Goofy with halo on the other shoulder. Right? Four-year-olds understand that because they're already arguing inside their head. Uh. And so if you're not a problem to be solved, you're a process to be experienced, you have to find a place where, you know, you can just be. Yeah. I, I, the, the Goofy with the horns or Goofy with the uh, with the halo is, is really cool. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the the thought process of a, of a four-year-old. I have a four-year-old and, um, when something, when something happens near her and I'm not gonna say happens to her, but when she's in, you know, a, a kerfuffle yeah. with her older brother, you can see her, uh, making that decision, mulling over whether or not she's going to scream and pout and freak out and get angry or, is she going to stay in the game and be flexible with the game that they're playing? If she got bumped on the nose, do I freak out get upset and allow this thing to, to like sort of ruin this fun game we're playing? Or can I just sort of like ignore it, shake it off and continue to improvise within this game we're playing? And it is fascinating. And of course, as parents, we can, you know, we can, we can gently, gently nudge, gently nudge into a place of, of, of flexibility of mind to say, well, you know, oh, how's your nose? It's okay. Oh yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. And then, and then the game continues. You know, she wasn't wronged. She didn't need to be pulled out of this, this, um, this, this fun experience she was having just because she got bumped in the nose. It wasn't malicious. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't being attacked. So it's fun to watch that. You know, it just sort of struck me as you mentioned that. That's an awesome example. And I, I've got four uh, kids that range from uh, just over fifty to fifteen. So I've seen this over a pretty long arc. Um, and you can there's actually like a pause you can see the you know the little processes going on you're going to go one way or the other if you habitually go towards the kind of thing you know life's going to evolve in a different direction than if you're able to and flexibility is exactly the right word the the, the concept that's underneath act is called psychological flexibility that's all those things working together and you know i think life kind of tells us that, for example, taking the bump of the nose, coming back in the present, focus if it's not malicious, you know, you don't have to defend yourself here. You're actually safe. It's painful. It goes away very, very quickly as you focus. Uh, you know, it actually goes away even faster. And 
if you do it to make it go away, it won't. Then you've split your focus. So you have to just mm. allow yourself to come back into the game. Uh, so we've had so many experiences like that, all of us. And so if I if I were to ask somebody who's really struggling and so forth to just uh, show me with your body, you at your best, they're going to lift up their head, open their eyes, and put their arms and hands out. Right. Well, okay, then do that. <laughs> do that, and life will move forward. But then instead, we go, oh, it's so terrible. Yeah. Oh. You know, and you know, gut level, it's not what you need to do, but it's just something kind of like biting on a molar that's coming through. It's painful, and somehow it's sort of righteously awful. <laughs> right. Maybe dad will come and protect you from the mean sibling who bumped her nose. It's a, you know, yeah, you probably will. You probably would step forward. And the game now has stopped. Hmm. So we, we know better, but doesn't mean we always do better. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us in a sort of a little bit of a different direction because I think cool. that you're, you're, you're a great guy to, to, to talk through some of this stuff with. You know, you talk about, um, what did you say, uh, uh, righteous, righteous what? <laughs> I forget. Uh, it's like biting on the thing, righteous yeah, attention yeah. or something like that. And, and what that makes me think about is – Oh, here we go. Um, uh, virtue signaling. Um, the, 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 a culture, uh, a seemingly increased import on victimhood, um, on being offended, on um, being frustrated, um, literally signaling as often as possible that you have been wronged and that you need recourse and that you are a victim. Yeah. And even even me wading into these waters that are tricky, um, it, it, and they are because there are people who are mistreated. Sure, there are people who who don't deserve the treatment that they have. Um, but there are a lot of people who um, who sort of revel in that. Um, yeah. And and I wonder, I wonder where that comes from. I wonder where um, cancel culture comes from i wonder why that's popular now and i wonder a little bit uh i i mean as 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 you as you think a little bit about that for a second you know i i saw this really excellent meme memes are so cheap and so easy it's like pop culture hard times create strong men and women strong men create good times good times create weak men weak men create hard times okay I have this idea, right? I have this 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 notion that that things are we have it so easy now, like instant information, you know, economic growth. Um, we just we're, we're finding things to get upset about, and 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 now victimhood has become this 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 virtue to be had. And controversially, uh, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go, Sean. We we started so well in this conversation, and you <laughs> took it took it down took it down a took it down a road that I didn't want to have, but. But it, it it also extends, I believe, um, into um, righteousness around being sick, and and really valuing, uh, putting putting a putting a strong value on on being um, being potentially sick by this um, by this. You yeah. know, this is such a complex conversation. I know. <laughs> and I think we have to have this conversation. Um, 
it, it's, it's, a, it's a both and <laughs> kind of deal where, yes, context matters, history matters, objectification, dehumanization matters. And it's in our history, it's in our culture, it's in our minds, it's dug in deep. I mean, if you just take, here's the kind of stuff that we, we've developed some measures of implicit cognition inside the work that I do, relational frame theory is the basic science underneath ACT, which I also started 20 years ago and has now a life of its own. And you can easily show using some of these measures that all of the kind of normal stigma, prejudice, et cetera, has dug into all of us, hmm. including those who are the uh, at, at the short end of the stick. People who are being objectified and dehumanized are carrying inside their own cognitive networks the same kinds of thoughts, feelings, memories, et cetera. That's, that's the way the mind works. And there's no delete button in the mind. So right. once it goes in, it's in there. So it, it it's pernicious. The problem is, is that a values-based journey asks us to take on all of that, to take perspective about others, focus on what's important and move forward without subtraction. What victimhood does is it sort of says, uh, all of that is not my fault. Well, it may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. What? It's my responsibility? Let's just take a study we did, for example, with uh, sexual orientation, where we're dealing with uh, gays and lesbians who've been objectified, dehumanized, and are trying to walk through the pain of that and, and kind of empowering moving, moving forward. Moving forward is going to require taking on all of that. And the part in there that I'm worried about is the blame and shame kind of thing of you did that to me delays the psychological part of, okay, can I carry that and see that I have an ability to respond? Hmm. Now, part of my ability to respond is to change the culture. And we're seeing this, I'm picking sexual orientation because we've made some spectacular progress on it. We really have made a lot of progress fast. We can see it just over a generation. I mean, people can get married and you know, we have protection in the laws and so forth. And, and that's important. I think most people would agree. Vast yeah. majority of human beings on the planet agree, agree with that. Uh, and yet to deal with the wounded heart that came from that requires you taking responsibility for how those painful experiences and so forth are being carried in you. Hmm. And blame and shame is not going to help you on that, either towards yourself, that's called self-stigma, or towards others. But now, part of the responsibility, the ability to respond is, let's change the world in such a way that that doesn't happen to others. Mm. So I'm down with the part of, not victimhood, but the, the part of that story that empowers us to do something about the world, really. Yeah. And I'm not at all very interested in the part that sort of just gives us a place to sit pridefully suffering yeah and and kind of pointing and delaying the moment where you stand up and carry that in a different direction so wrongs have been done people do need to account for that and you know in the mental health area i know i've gone on too long of a thing but you know i'm dealing with things where people come in and say i have and then they're going to give me some freaking diagnosis and, you know, and inside the diagnosis thing will then be, and therefore here's the accommodation and here's the, 
medication, and here's the lower expectations. I'm going, wait a minute. Where did that come from, number one? Who's making money off that, number mm -hmm. two? And is this really in your interest? Right. Like, I don't want to be stigmatizing people with mental health struggles. I want to be empowering them. But not, but destigmatizing doesn't mean, oh, you've got all this long list of DSM diagnoses, therefore, I'm going to expect less of you. Right. No. No, I, I will try to work with you to empower your life and expect the most of you. Yeah. Because after all, you know a lot from the difficulty, from that struggle. So I worry about where the culture has taken this both and situation of wrongs were done and yet we're responsible. You can't just say, tag, it's your job. Yeah. But you also can't just say, let's live inside a, you know, a victimhood story. And now you've got yet another conceptualized self that you put on like a clown suit, right. except instead of the prideful narcissistic one, it's the woe is me, I've been victimized one. That doesn't look like a empowerment story to me. It doesn't look like lifting you up. Right, right. Well, as as a professor at a university, I, I, I know that you have, you're at the sort of front lines of, of this, you know, um, uh, I, and I don't want to speak out of school because I don't, I'm not in school, so I can't, I can't really speak to exactly what you're, what you're dealing with. But, but, you know, it, it, it seems like it has become increasingly uh, uh, an awareness that, uh, that the universities are sort of like, there, there's, there's a lot of challenges there, like special treatment um, um, for folks um, who, just like you said, I think you said it well, I don't really need to um, elaborate on it. But it gets to the heart of, of acceptance, right? It gets to the heart of like, okay, well, here's my reality. Here's this thing I work, I'm working on. Here's this thing that I don't need to let it define me. I don't need to let it make me who I am so I can just sit there and just identify as dyslexic. Um, again, I don't have dyslexia and I don't mean to demonize people with dyslexia, you know, but that doesn't need to be who you are. You know, Mark Cuban, uh, you know, is dyslexic and talks about what the, the, the lessons he learned, how much harder he had to work. And in so doing, you know, created all these opportunities for himself. And so, um, I, I totally understand there's, there's no, there's no glory in self-loathing. There's no glory in, in, um, in allowing these, these sorts of, um, uh, either mental issues or learning disabilities or, or identifications that you have or orientations that you have to just like be who you are. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, maybe a way of softening this dangerous conversation yeah, yeah. would be to point out that the same process of buying into a, a negative story happens when we buy into a positive story sure. in a way that overrides the actual experience of, of living that life. And it, it distances ourselves from other people. So I think we're seeing a, a this odd rise in narcissism. Yes. At the same time that we're seeing an odd rise in sort of uh, victimhood. And so personal responsibility and social transformation both can happen. And in the same way on the, the so-called positive stories, you know, showing up as the whole human being you are and in a, in a humble and honest way, kind of opening up to the to the failures you've had, sharing with others how the places where it's been hard, putting that out there, even if your path has led to 
being a Mark Cuban and something. The reason you know that story is he's talked about it. Sure. And and that's a healthy thing, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think part of that is a, there's a leveling that can happen in there and an empowerment that I can have of, of others if if we're able to dance on the knife's edge. Yeah. Of not falling either way, you know, because you could take Mark's story and say, and therefore you don't need any help if you're dyslexic. No, don't do that. Right. And let's work on it. Let's let science work on it. Maybe we can do a better job. We can actually, we don't have to, but let's not just take this as a, a little cubby hole to shove a life in and say, I don't expect anything of you after all you're, and then learning disabled. No, no, don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to others. And by the way, if the cubby hole is I'm great and I'm grand, don't do that to yourself either. Right. You're objectifying and dehumanizing yourself and you're making other people around you either kowtow to your great and grand story or not be able to interact with you, which means you're missing all these wonderful relationships that you could have if you came in a more level and humble way and be the whole person you are. You know, be the person on the podcast to say, I'm not even sure what to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a move that levels and humanizes. So maybe there's a way that on both sides kind of help us deal with this challenge. I, so I agree with you. It is a challenge we're into right now. Yeah. Well, you know what you, I see the, co, I see the correlation and, and then, you know, obviously uh, I listened to a recent, I don't remember who it was, but the Joe Rogan did a, a whole episode on narcissism. Um, I don't remember who the researcher was that was, that's been, that's been focusing on narcissism. Uh, it was like a couple of weeks ago and it was just a fascinating conversation about, you know, um, the rise of narcissism, you know, just a selfie, uh, just doing selfies alone. The fact that you and I are staring at both each, <laughs> each other and ourselves is like, oh, well, I, you know, I look good today. I feel good today. I'm important because we're having this videoed conversation. Um, but it was a really fascinating conversation. And, and what, what occurs to me is sort of you're talking about is like, it, 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 there's these, these extremes, right? There's these extremes between, um, uh, allowing allowing yourself to be limited because you have this thing and and you define yourself by that thing and that sort of lowers your expectations for yourself versus the overcompensation which is this narcissistic tendency that says well I'll be okay I'm fabulous like look at me like it's okay like um, the correlation for me there is uh, I see similarly in like depression and anxiety. You know, depression is um, depression is, is is a look back. You know, feeling lamenting. Um, you know, thinking in into your past, right? And anxiety is thinking too far into the future. It's it's this it's the other extreme. It's it's worrisome because you're you, fuck, what's going to happen next? What am I going to do? All this stuff. And I and I see this correlation. And and the answer, right, is to be somewhere in the middle. Is to be balanced and to be agile and graceful. But that's not that sexy, <laughs> right? It lives well, though. It does. It's... Well, and part of what the ACT stuff can do is that it can bring what are the processes that will help you do that? How do you stay in balance? You know, how do you actually catch that middle pathway? How do you not fall either? And that core of being able to step back from your mind, because whether your mind's telling you you're great and grand or it's telling you that you're the lowest of the low, in either case, you've got that dictator within telling you who you are. Meanwhile, there's a conscious human being noticing those thoughts. And by the way, I'm talking to a conscious human being who's playing back and forth. We're playing a little kind of verbal tennis thing here. And if we're doing it well, 
that's cool for the moment, but it serves the listeners well. You know, I could it, us climbing into that storied self is not in helpful to us in this moment. Hmm. But connecting consciously to people having a conversation is helpful to us. Right. So could I teach that kind of skill that mindfulness work will give you, our wisdom traditions gives us, our spiritual religious traditions give us of catching this larger sense of self that's more spiritual or observing or noticing or there's a thousand different names for it. Person behind the eyes, sense of self that's not defined by the form. And then from that perspective or point of view, yeah, you open up to your thoughts, you open up to your emotions, you come into the present moment, you focus on what's important, and you get your feet moving towards what's important. And I just said six things there. And the, the, that sense of self empowering these kind of cognitive and emotional openness, flexible attention in the now, values and committed action. Those six things, that's the hack. That's what we spent 40 years developing. Those six things predict more things in more area than any other list of psychological processes that is known to science. I'm sorry for the prideful statement, but we've just done more studies and it's more consistent in outcomes. And it will make a difference. You know, I'm not wearing my my uh, T-shirts here. I was wearing a Blue Jays uh, T-shirt because uh, the mental performance coaches for the Blue Jays, and by the way, the Rays, uh, are active performance coaches nice and why because they have this amazing challenge yeah of being able to sit in the batter's box and have somebody throw a hundred mile an hour ball at them yeah and the, the microseconds that it takes to hit that ball you do not have time to have to be dealing with your ego or avoiding your anxiety or remembering that betrayal from your girlfriend, I mean, or or wishing yourself to you know batting average of 400. You, 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 it's it's a moment between what your body's been trained to do by thousands of hours of training. This awareness part of self that allows you to sort of see the ball, the spin of the ball, the speed and direction of the ball, and you know full send behavioral commitment. I'm going for it. I'm not half swinging. I'm swinging. Yeah. Well, it's. It's like that in relationships, yeah. in podcasts, in uh, you know business. It's like that in mental health. It turns out those same processes are just everywhere, and they they change a little. Uh, but uh, you know our high performers learn a lot of these skills by trial and error. We've actually done measures of this. For I'll give you an example. Emotion, uh, emotional openness includes openness to pain without struggling and fighting and, and and allowing it to move through okay physical pain yes but also psychological pain when we take those measures and we give them to the high performers like for example major league baseball etc we have to change the items because if we just give our items they, they're maxing out yeah i mean because they're out there doing things that are way painful for like hours on end yeah or they wouldn't be in the major leagues right but we can ask questions in a different way. We've actually figured out some ways of doing this. We have measures that will predict like an NHL hockey player's points per minute on ice. We can, because why? The person who misses the puck the next time is the one who's still thinking about the missed puck they had two seconds ago. Ah. And that little emotional rush, if you don't learn to let it go through you and then come back, like in microseconds, yeah. you're not going to be a, a world-class hockey player. You're not. So... We have to change even how we ask about it, but the processes are still relevant. So the thing I would want to say here is that, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to learn something from these struggles that we've got. 
or from these things where, where these train wrecks are happening, you know, like victimhood, kind of the conversation we had, that'll allow us to go into that high performance space, but also to deal with these mental health issues or to deal with the diet and exercise issues or the challenges of an injury or the, it's over and over again, the same challenge. How do I consciously show up, open up to what my memory sensations, body emotions, thoughts give me, come up to the present moment, focus on what's important and take the next step, full send, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, full commitment. I'm going for it. I'm, I'm swinging a hundred percent, not half. Yeah. It, it, it's a, uh, it's like a, a Zen lesson that life gives us like a million times. Yeah, right. <laughs> and right. we either learn it or we don't. Yeah. And if you do learn it, you do well. And if you don't learn it, you stumble. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Zen or Kung Fu, right? Just to be able to, to stay in the moment, to be flexible with it, to, to move, to, to use what's given to you <laughs> real quickly. Get, you know, uh, are, are, are you a, are you a, a, a Kung uh, Fu guy? Any, yeah, I, I, I've, I've done some martial arts. I grew up wrestling and yeah, I've done some Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, in my adult life. And man, there's so many lessons. Every time you put the gi on, every time you put your mouth guard in and roll with somebody, there's there's thousands well, of lessons. My son, after 11 years, just started his black belt test. So ah. all it's, he's got four months of this black belt test. And and it's an example, you know, why the processes I just talked about are in your yoga class, they're in your martial arts class, they're in your meditation class, they're in your church service. If you dig into, I don't care, you don't have to be Buddhist, you dig into what the Christian mystics, what the Sufis, what the mm -hmm. Kabbalah was saying, they're in the mystical traditions, they're in art and literature, they're, they're in high performers. Let's a use Western science to simplify our task. It's not so complicated. It's hard because it's tricky because your mind is constantly saying, no, treat life as a problem to be solved. No, with respect, I decline that invitation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn in a different way that's a lot more like a martial arts class than it is like doing a math problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when it comes to the sort of collective anxiety that we're all facing right now, um, you know, uh, who knows how this thing rolls forward in the next two, three months, six months, six years. Like the, there's really, there's, there's really no way to predict, um, listeners of, of this, of this podcast will know kind of where I stand on this issue, but we we don't need to go to go into my personal opinion. The fact of the matter is, is that we're, we're struggling, right. And, and mental health, is a massive issue for people right now. There, there are some people in some really, really hard spots, and they're going to need lots of tools to um, to move forward in their lives. Um, when it comes to uh, applying ACT into this this new this I don't uh, this this paradigm yeah. of mental uh, of mental challenges, like. Besides every one of us understanding how ACT works and applying it in our lives, like how, how, do, you, how do you filter uh, a, global, a global pandemic through, through how you think about people can move forward with themselves? Well, actually, you know, like the World Health Organization, if you go there and you try to find, is there anything you can do to help us step up to the mental challenges of the COVID crisis? They'll send you over to a cartoon book that is an ACT cartoon book that ah. was and it was tested by South Sudanese refugees in Uganda as to how to deal with being thrown out of their country 
with nothing other than their shirt on the back and their children. And because it would, so it, it illiterate population with literally an audio tape and a cartoon book. Uh, why is who uh, doing that? Because, because they don't have an off the shelf uh, mental health support program for something that applies to the entire world's population. We've grown up inside this, I think, delusional story that some people have mental illness, one out of five, and the other four, oh, you're, you're doing great. It's mm. not true. Mental health, just like physical health, requires mental resilience, mental exercise, mental strength. I mean, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm sorry you have cancer. I guess you have to start exercising now. Nobody would think to do that. But we do that in the mental side. We say, okay, I'm sorry that you're so depressed you can't move. I guess you have to do your mindfulness training. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. We're in a world right now where it's not one out of five. It's five out of five. Hmm. All of us need to be working on our mental health skills, our resilience skills. And it turns out Western science has, has a hack there. The, I've, my colleagues and I have done a study of what are the processes of change that are known in the, from controlled studies. Okay, and there's a statistical way you figure that out called mediation. I won't go into the stats of it, but we looked at every study that's ever been done in the history of the planet that had a psychological outcome and a psychological input. So we're not doing medication studies and it has to be some kind of psychological outcome. It turns out there's only about 32 different processes that matter. And when you distill them down, the ones I gave you, this six sucks out about 50, 60 percent of what we know about change. You don't need to know that much. And it doesn't matter whether it's the psychology of high performance, the psychology of stepping up to a cancer diagnosis, or the psychology of depression. You need to learn emotional and cognitive openness. You need to learn attentional flexibility in the present moment from this more spiritual sense of self. And you need to learn what your values are and how to link your behavior to them. If you do those six things, so you'll do a lot. Now, we are sitting right now in about 25 studies about COVID and psychological flexibility. And what we've learned is what predicts mental health problems during COVID is psychological flexibility. What predicts problems in families spreading through is the psychological flexibility of the parents because the kids are watching you. If they see you getting all entangled in your worries, they see you running away from your fears instead of stepping up. They see you doing all these kind of avoidant things or, or forgetting not, you know, to do the values-based things like calling your family or, you know, caring about your neighbor or, I mean, there's things to do other than worry right. inside this moment. You could support, you could empower, you could be there, you can love, you can contribute. And yes, taking some responsible behavioral steps. Yes, of course, I would say, for example, wear masks. Yes, wear masks is not that big a deal. But and be careful about large crowds and all those kind of things. But no, don't run around with your hair on fire. Well, when we see that, it predicts, will people be able to get through this without psychological problems? Are they actually able to set up inter, you know, interactions in their family that are supportive? So the, the literature is pretty powerful, and, and there's some big uh, institutions out there that see it that way. I'm pretty proud of the fact that the only thing that the World Health Organization will give you right now if you say, how do I get through psychologically with uh, COVID, is a, an act cartoon book. It makes me laugh, frankly, uh, <laughs> because it's bizarre. 
but it's <laughs> also pretty cool. Yeah, uh, right. One point about the cartoon book, this is not highfalutin, PhD level mumbo jumbo. This is stuff children can understand. I mean, golly. Uh, Google, here comes a thought. And it's a it's a it's a cartoon song out of my son's used to be favorite cartoon show called Steven's Universe. It's an act based song that's been looked at by 20 million children. Uh, in the liner notes, the person who did it, I'm blocking on her name, uh, knew something about act. And uh, they even in the cartoon show had the Steven have we're a bald wig as a little shout out to yours truly. Oh, nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. But. The reason I'm pointing to it is it's, you know, it's it's in our culture. It's not like we have to become something other than what we kind of know how to do. Right. We just need to stop being so mindy and full of pretense and show. And do I have enough likes on my social media page? And, oh, please, come on, show up. Yeah. As the whole human being you are. And learn how to love and care, learn how to treat yourself with kindness, learn how to show up for others. Old, old messages, but they get drowned out by the cacophony. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, those are the teachings of the mystics. Those are the teachings of, of, of the, of the real, the real masters, the thought leaders, the Stoics. Uh, yeah. yeah the Gnostics is like. Show and up in the modern day. I mean, folks who like stumble into the Eckhart Tolle's of the world, yeah. it's the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's different language, but it's the same stuff. Yeah. And all the folks who started these movements and stuff had mystical experiences. Right. And what are those? I've actually done a little bit of work more recently on psychedelic therapy, mm -hmm. not to just promote that out of the blue, but please do, please do. We, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan and proponent some. and it's something that we talk about frequently. Well, you know, ACT is being used in the large randomized trials now that are happening at, at NYU, Toronto, uh, in San Francisco and so forth. ACT is probably the most common now model that's used to orient people for their one or two or three, whatever you're doing. Uh, not so much low dose. I'm not really fully down with that yet. Uh. Regular low dose long, I'm not sure. But those ones that are more like, you know, the kind of ways that uh, our indigenous peoples have always used these kinds of substances. Well, we I wrote an article recently about the neurobiology of this. And take this sort of sense of self, that I'm great and grand or I'm the lowest of the low. Those sense of self areas, that narrative sense of self, you can actually sort of see to some degree in imaging there are these midline structures that the narrative sense of self gets very when you when you're talking about who you are what you're like how you compare to others man your brain is lightening up in those areas of the brain and what do they do they actually filter out sensory motor information that doesn't fit your story hmm. and it's like this recent evolutionary thing of storytelling that's only a couple hundred or a couple million years old commanding these attentional processes that are a thousand times older that are you know half a billion 600 million years old and so what psychedelics appear to do is kind of take down the gatekeeper function sure and all of a sudden you have access to all of this information yeah this information what do you have access to the stuff that was actively being filtered out in part heavily by this narrative sense of self is that the default so mode network yeah, well, the default mode network is the kind of hum in the background that comes from 
you know, being attending to and fitting into a narrative what's going on around you. And meditation or uh, psychedelics will kind of alter that, that default mode network because you, you're, you're no longer sort of scanning, evaluating, comparing, predicting in, in the same way. You're just sort of open. Hmm. But uh, so it's related to that. And, and, and psychedelics have a big effect on the default mode network. So does meditation. So does ACT, by the way. Hmm. Uh, so my point being that we're we're kind of learning, I think, that feeding this sort of ego-based or victim-based, narcissistic-based or I've-been-wrong-based kind of storied self is actually limiting the alternatives that we have as for what's possible yeah. right now in this moment. And uh, it's a lot more than what your mind's going to tell you is possible. Yeah, right. Yeah, if, if we're... If you're gonna make it through this uh, on your own, if we're gonna make this through, make it through this. I mean, we're gonna make it through this one way or another. But if we can, if we can continue to thrive, if we continue to support each other, if we can continue to build, and, and we're gonna need these tools and and understand how they work, so that we can have framework. And my tendency. I'm, I tend to be more right-brained, uh, more intuitive, more feeling, less less yeah. uh, frameworky, systematic, and so. That's but, why you look down and to the left. That's where, I, yeah, because it's over there, right? Over, <laughs> exactly yeah. right the other side. That's yeah. right. You're probably oh man, I never thought about that. Uh, yeah, right. Um, but but we have to have we have to have these frameworks in order to 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 have what like what, what we're gonna do what what what's the plan here gang okay what are we doing now what do we, what what are some things that we all can be doing, um, I, I the actual acronym is is failing me right now but I, and I've talked about it before it's a, it's from positive psychology it's an acronym for what to do during a crisis and it's I think it's called like hope or or home and it's like optimism and resiliency and efficacy I think it's I don't remember what it is, but these sorts of, these sorts of tools, we should, well, we're talking about it now, but we should continue to talk about them, promote them, illuminate them so that you have something to do. If you need to look at a comic book that a, you know, that a, that a, that a fourth grader can understand, um, to, to what to do in a crisis, then do it, but don't just lament. Don't just fall down a Netflix rabbit hole or, you know, turn to drugs and alcohol and, um, yeah. Yeah. Act is usually categorized as sort of linked to the positive psychology movement. There's actually books on act and positive psychology walking through and some of the major leaders in positive psych are act people. But in a funny kind of way, because what it turns out, if you are attached to the positive and you hang on to it, that also becomes narrowing. Sure. Just like if you're avoidant of the negative. So the real place to stand, what's underneath some of those things like hope and so forth, is being fully who you are and allowing yourself to care and aspire to have those values, even though you have a history that includes things like pain and betrayal and trauma and all that. You do. Everybody does. But can you focus on that not to eliminate that uh, dark past, nor to cling like some sort of miser to the precious stone in the box of the one time where you had you know, some loving moment with somebody or something. Yeah. No. no, you allow the ebb and flow, but you focus on the positive, carrying the, the negative so-called with you, like in your back pocket mm-hmm. like thing, and allowing it to inform you. You want, you know, your 
anxieties to kind of motivate you to step forward. Sure. I actually, when, when you go towards the positive, if you kind of think of the sweet spots that are in your life, they'll have those positives. If you take the negative parts of your life and you flip it over, those positives are there too. Right. You know, like if you were betrayed in love, it's because love matters. Yeah. That's hurt. That's why it hurt. And if you can open up to that betrayal and flip it, it'll empower you to step forward, not in some sort of crazy way, like, hey, the next, you know, like on the first date, you're asking, will you marry me? You know, you have people like desperate to get back to that point where I'll have a committed, intimate relationship. You're never going to get it that way. You're going to have to be able to sort of take that pain of betrayal, flip it over, focus on what's important and bring the whole thing with you, the yeah. whole history and take that positive journey that's not clinging it's not attachment it's not sugar soup from morning to night you know life's not like that but it's more like a positive journey that you're we're here for a larger purpose well what is your larger purpose you tell me yeah let's go let's yeah. do it Full yeah. set. swing what's the behavior what do you do what are you gonna do about it what do you what, what do you what's the yeah what what are you gonna What's the first step? Well, well, and that's a beautiful thing about this COVID thing, man, is that nobody, I mean, we all know it's a five out of five deal. It's not one out of five. We all know this is hard. And we all think I have a sense that we could either manage it well or manage it badly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before, because I think people need to read up, uh, you have so many YouTube videos. I mean, you're, you're, you're really easy to find your, you know, there was, there was four or five different things from different videos that you shared that I wanted to talk about, but, but, uh, maybe that'll be a part two. I, I would love to have you back on and, and talk a little bit more, uh, because this, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, before I ask the, the, the last question, which is a fill in the blank question, uh, would you mind just sort of pointing people to resources where they can, where they can find you, the books, the, the, all the stuff, what are, give them the details. Sure. Well, the two books that are most trade books of my 47, most of them are for geeks and scientists and all that. The new one is a liberated mind. So over my shoulder there and, and then get out of your mind into your life. That was my 15 minutes of fame when the time wrote about it back in the day. But both of those will give you kind of the psychological flexibility model and how to actually learn these skills. You're not born with them. And if you don't have them, you can acquire them. And it's not like a, you know, a 10 year journey. This is something that can happen really fast. If you don't want to even spend that money, you know, as you say, it's out there with with uh, YouTube and so forth. You can get a lot of that or I'll happily send you like a seven lesson thing about what is act and then put you on my clinical newsletter list if you go to stephenchayes.com and say yes please send it to me i don't spam people it's always a one click to opt out uh, but uh, that's the way to opt in yeah. stephen the v middle initial c h a y e s all one word stephenchayes.com yes please send it to me and i'll i do i do a, a newsletter about once a month or so I also blog a lot on Psych Today and Medium and other places who can sort of catch me. But when I'm when I'm not doing my science stuff, I'm blogging or <laughs> trying to help out. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I appreciate that. So before before we take this home, um, the fill in the blank question. Um, this can be based on anything that you know from your life. It doesn't need to be uh, within the, the the framework of ACT or, or anything like that. Um, and feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you'd like, but please fill in the blank. 
everyone would benefit from knowing. Well, I'm tempted to either say how to love or how to be. Um, and really, they're kind of two aspects of the same thing. I think we're, we come into life yearning to belong. We're wired for it. You know, we're not out of the oven, but a few hours that if mama looks us in the eye, we start dumping natural opiates in our brain going, woohoo, because we want to be seen, we want to connect, we want to belong. And how do we do that in a way that allows us to feel and to remember and to intend and to behave? And how to do that is the, the life's journey we get put on when uh, we find out that it isn't just going to be dumped on us, that things will happen. We will be betrayed in love. We will have hard times. We will have failures. And so can you still be your whole full self and care about connecting and belonging and then building a life worth living that uh, allows you to, to, to feel and to learn how to be competent, to cre contribute, so that's the, that's life's challenge. And uh, if you get an email from me, if, if you email me, I always respond. And um, and there will be a, a little thing at the bottom of the email that says, uh, "Love isn't everything; it's the only thing." <laughs> so it is kind of uh, how I've tried to live my life. Uh, I'm not always good at it. Ask my wife; she'll tell you. But I always say to my wife, yeah, but you didn't know me before, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a work in progress. Um, we're still working on loving and being. Aren't we all? Uh, Stephen C. Hayes, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. It was awesome. Thank you, Sean, for inviting me. And scene.